everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. morning. Welcome. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. As, hold on, hold on. It's really loud. Okay. As Steph mentioned, I am Emily. I'm the Connect Pastor here at the Vineyard. I'm super happy to be with you this morning. I would love for you to, if you have a chance, um, to grab your Bibles So if you brought them, great. If you have your NLT Jesus-centered Bible, even better. But there are Jesus-centered NLT New Living Translations back in the back. So go ahead and jump up and grab a Bible. You're definitely going to want it. Um, So as you're doing that, I will explain the shirt. Um, Not trying to just like invoke summer because I'm wearing tie-dye, but the shirt was made by my daughter. She's eight. And what she did, she was given a gift of this tie-dye kit. And she also used her own money and went out and bought more tie-dye. And she tie-dyed clothes for everyone in the family, not just herself. So we have a 10-year-old boy. We have a little baby, 16 months, um, my husband and me. She tie-dyed shirts for everybody. And it just melted my heart that she wasn't just thinking of herself, but she knew that there's this bigger picture, right? Like life is not just about me and my tie-dye and let me tie-dye everything for me, but there is a bigger picture, right? I have a family and I love them. And so she tie-dyed things for everyone. So I'm wearing this because of her. Um, And she made sure that I told you that she made it. So Maggie made the shirt. And hopefully you've grabbed your Bibles. This morning, what's going on is that we're in between a series now. So we've um, been through the series, Creative, and we are going to jump in next week, launch into a series called Project Bible. So I am just here to be an on-ramp into this Bible series for you. So what I hope to accomplish today is, as this launch in, what I feel like and what I hope the Holy Spirit will do for you during this next series is help you to connect dots. You know those connect the dots papers. I hope what God will do is take these stories that you've heard growing up maybe or these little pieces of the Bible that you have pulled out, these little characters of God, and that he'll, this, the series will help you to connect dots. And so today I'm going to show you a little bit how that works, um, but also what I hope you take away today is that there is a bigger picture. So I would love for you to look at somebody near you or just talk to me and just repeat that for me. There is a bigger picture. Perfect, thank you. Entertaining me, thanks. And so, take a deep breath. We're gonna look at a bigger picture in the Bible. What I would love for you to do is turn to the book of Ezra, And we're going to be looking at Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 13. I'm just going to, I'll read it to you, but I will give you a little bit of background. We're jumping into the book of Ezra. uh, And where we're jumping in is it's about 600 BC, something like that. 
God's people, the Israelites, uh, are living in the promised land. And they're following God. But where they are, there are all these outside influences coming in and spreading lies, basically, right? Like, oh, it's okay, do whatever you want, and all this evil comes into play. So God's people, instead of following God, turn around and start following all of this evil. And God, super compassionate, for years, right, says to them, can you please turn back to me? Return to me. Return to me. I promise you it's better. Return to me. And the people do not. They will not. And they continue on in their evil. Not everyone, of course, there's some good eggs in the batch, but uh, most of them uh, just continue doing evil. So finally, God has to punish them in love. And so he sends, well, for the northern kingdom, Assyria comes in and takes them all away. But for the southern kingdom, it's Babylon. So we're looking at the southern kingdom. Babylon comes in, takes them all captive, marches them all to Babylon, and they live there in captivity for 70 years. After that, God rescues them, allows them, through working through King Cyrus, um, allows them to return to Jerusalem. Now, when they got taken captive by Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar completely destroyed the temple. Completely. And now they are back in the promised land, but there's no temple. So God has told them, please rebuild my temple now. So that's where we find ourselves here in Ezra. So we're going to look at verse 13. I'm just going to read through with you. I might stop and give you a little explanation. Tatanai, governor of the province west of the Euphrates River, and Shethar Bosanai and their colleagues complied at once with the command of King Darius. The command of King Darius was to go ahead and rebuild the temple. So the Jewish elders continued their work. They had already built the foundation. They continued their work, and they were greatly encouraged by the preaching of the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Iddo. Now, you probably know Haggai and Zechariah are books of the Bible. So if you were reading Ezra just for fun, because I know you all would love to read Ezra for fun, and actually, it is fantastic. So I do highly encourage you to read the entire book of Ezra when you go home today. Um, but if you were reading it, you would stop now probably or finish Ezra. And then you would go read Haggai and Zechariah because it would help you to connect all of the pieces, right? To connect the dots, you would probably want to go read them. So I would encourage you to also do that. Read those two books. Anyway, continuing on. The temple was finally finished as had been commanded by the God of Israel and decreed by Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, the kings of Persia. Sorry, I have to stop again. So you can read in other passages. This story is not only here in Ezra, but you will read that God stirred up the heart of Cyrus. He caused Cyrus to create this decree, and um, Darius found that letter from Cyrus. The temple was completed on March the 12th during the sixth year of King Darius's reign. The temple of God was then dedicated with great joy by the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the people who had returned from exile. During the dedication ceremony for the temple of God, 100 young bulls, 200 rams, and 400 male lambs were sacrificed, and 12 male goats were presented as a sin offering 
for the 12 tribes of Israel. Stopping for a second because you're probably like, really, why, why all these numbers? Um, I think part of the reason is because the first temple that Solomon built, when they dedicated it, they dedicated and sacrificed way, 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 way more than that. So I think it's trying to show you that this temple and this dedication were not nearly as elaborate and elaborate and crazy as it was in the time of Solomon. So we'll see that here too, that even some of the people cried because they had remembered the old temple and that this was not close to its beauty. But moving on then, the priests and the Levites were divided into their various divisions to serve at the temple of God in Jerusalem as prescribed in the book of Moses. On April 21st, the returned exiles celebrated Passover. The priests and the Levites had purified themselves and were ceremonially clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests, and for themselves. The Passover meal was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and by the others in the land who had turned from their corrupt practices to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. Then they celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days. There was great joy throughout the land because the Lord had caused the king of Assyria to be favorable to them so that he helped them to rebuild the temple of God the God of Israel. So what is the main point of this story? It is that the temple was rebuilt, and if you noticed, you heard the word joy twice, that there was great joy. This was a joyous event, a joyous occasion, that the temple had been rebuilt. rebuilt. So that is like a small picture. This is just a story pulled out of the Bible, but I'm going to help us to see that there is a much bigger picture going on. So just repeat with me, there is a bigger picture. And in general, when you read your Bibles, it is super important, and I think this next series will help you see, that it is really important to read your Bibles with the bigger biblical narrative in your mind, meaning the bigger story of the Bible, creation, redemption, the future hope, the bigger biblical narrative. So what we're going to do is in two different ways, we're going to find a bigger picture from this story. The first one is a bigger picture within an individual, and the second one is a bigger picture community-wise, and that'll make sense in just a moment. So let's look at an individual. When they talk about these Jewish elders that continued the work of the temple, if you flip back to Ezra chapter 5, you will meet some of those Jewish elders who rebuilt the temple. Looking at Ezra 5, verse 1 and 2. I want to read that for you, and you can turn, of course. At that time, the prophets, oh, here they are again, you should read these, Haggai and Zechariah, son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem. They prophesied in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, responded by starting again to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them and helped them. So we're going to just hone in on this character, Jeshua. Now, Jeshua, you may realize, sounds a lot like Jesus because it is the same name. It is also the same as Joshua. And this man, Jeshua, is a priest, right? And God stirs it up in his heart. Jeshua, help me rebuild this temple. Now, what Jeshua does not see is that there is a bigger picture going on in his life. So I'm going to show you that bigger picture. 
And to do that, we do have to go over to Zechariah. So you can turn there with me if you like, or you can just listen. We're going to jump over to Zechariah chapter 3 to see that in Jeshua's life, there is a bigger picture going on. Zechariah 3, 1 and 2. This is fascinating, super fascinating. I had no idea this happened, but oh, it's so cool. So listen with me. Obviously, I'm excited. I hope you are too, but it's really cool. Then the angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Okay, so what's happening, sorry, is that Zechariah, he is a man, but he's getting a vision from God. So a prophet was someone who gets a, a message from God. So he's probably either asleep or daydreaming or his eyes are probably closed and he's getting this vision, like a download from God. So uh, standing before the angel of the Lord, the accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Jeshua. So Satan is there. This is in the spiritual realm, right? Jeshua cannot see this. He does not know, but in the spiritual realm, Satan is attacking him. Satan has gone to, this, to the throne room and said to God and to the angel of the Lord, hey, what, why are you using Jeshua? He is a big sinner, this man is terrible. God, what are you thinking? You don't want him to rebuild your temple. Pick somebody else, right? I don't know exactly what Satan said, but he is a liar. So, and he's a very tricky liar. He doesn't use those like, you know how like sometimes you just know it's a lie? Satan is one of those like, oh, it's kind of half true, right? Like Joshua really is a sinner. Um, but And he uses these like really tricky lies. So, Anyway, I just think it's fascinating that this is happening in the spiritual realm that Joshua cannot see. Uh, and then, verse 2, And the Lord said to Satan, I love this part, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Right? Like, I'm going to rescue him. Yeah, he's a sinner, Satan. Fine but I'm going to snatch him out, clean him up, and rescue him, right? And basically God is like, really, Satan, just zip it, right? Like, you don't have a place here. But I love, the bigger point is that there is a bigger picture going on in Joshua's life. So to translate that, in our lives, it is possible, I am not saying that this is always the case, but it is possible that there is something going on in your life in the spiritual realm that you cannot see. Just being aware that, possibly something's going on in the spiritual realm. And the hope that you have as a believer, as a believer in Christ, is that God is fighting for you, right? He's fighting for you in this spiritual realm. And I hope today that you just, even if you just can remember as you go through life that there's a bigger picture. Who knows, right? There could be something going on in the spiritual realm that you do not see. And we do have the ability to pray into that as well, to say like, God, fight for me. Angels, fight for me. And whatever else we want to pray into, into that realm. But just be aware, in the story, this happened to Joshua. It is possible, of course, to happen today as well. There is a bigger picture. There is what we can see in this world, but there is a spiritual realm. All right, so there's Joshua. Hold on to that. And we're going to go on now to the second bigger picture that we can see in this passage of Ezra. That bigger picture 
has to do with the temple. The temple. Now, as we read this story about the temple, it's not just an isolated story that we pull out. You can do that. Uh, but you can also realize that it is part of a bigger narrative. And here is the narrative. This is super fun. The bigger narrative about the temple starts all the way back in the garden. Back in the garden of Eden, if you remember, this is in Genesis 3. I'm not going to make you turn there. Um, but God was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. There was no building for him. He did not build himself a house. He just walked in the garden with them, and his presence was there with them. His glory was there. Now, after, of course, Adam and Eve sin, after all of that happens, they can no longer, we as people, can no longer be in God's presence fully. And so God has to separate man from himself, but God loves us, right? He loves man. He loves women, men and women, people. He loves us and he wants to be with us, but now he can't just walk around with us. Um, so he builds a building where his presence can be, not his physical body, but his presence. Um, and so we see that after the Israelites come back from Egypt, right? And Moses, they build a tabernacle. God asks Moses, build me a tabernacle. And so this we find in Exodus chapter 40. You can turn there if you want, or you can listen. Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 to 38. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So here we have a place where God's presence can dwell. We see that in the form of a cloud. I don't know if the cloud rings a bell, but I just read um, our kids, um, the Bible story last night where Jesus comes again on a cloud, and I was like, oh, the cloud. And I start to connect the dots, right? Like, I don't think this is a coincidence that Jesus comes on a cloud because God chooses to bring his presence here in that form, and he's going to bring the final you know, presence back on a cloud. So anyway, sorry, just connecting the dots. But there we have the tabernacle, okay? So then after that, God says, okay, now you can build me a temple because you don't have to, the tabernacle was something that they could tear down and build back up easily and they had to be walking all around in the wilderness. But when they finally got home, God said, now you can build me a home. So let's check that out. That's in 1 Kings chapter 8. 10 to 13. God's presence now comes to the temple. When the priests came out of the holy place, a thick cloud, oh, there's the cloud again, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. Then Solomon prayed, O Lord, you have said that you would live in a thick cloud of darkness. Now I have built a glorious temple for you, a place where you can live forever. So again, we just see God's presence, his glory here in the temple in the form of the cloud. Now, after this temple is destroyed, 
We've already looked at that story. After that temple is destroyed, uh, they have to rebuild. So we already read about that. They rebuild the temple. Um, and just want you to check out Haggai real quick. We're going to look at Haggai chapter 2, verse 7. You can turn if you want, or I can just read it to you. But I want you to see what happened to the new temple, the one that they rebuilt, which we read about. It says this, I will, this is God speaking, I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's army. So again, just showing you the temple that they rebuilt also fills up with God's glory and with his presence. Okay, so now we have seen that God needs buildings in which to dwell. He wants to be near you. He wants to be near us, so he builds these buildings. So what happens, this, this new tower or this new temple, actually it lasts for a really long time, like 500 years or something, all the way in to Jesus' time. This is the same temple that Jesus will go to. Um, and then when Jesus comes, this is super cool, when Jesus comes, um, he says something crazy about the temple. Are you ready? It's Matthew chapter 12, verse 7. He says this, but you, he's talking to the, the Pharisees. He's always fighting with them. Um, those are the religious hoity-toity leaders. Um, and he says to them, but you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. Oh, no, I said the wrong verse. Sorry, that's verse 7. I need you to go to verse 6. Go backwards. I tell you, there is one here, he's talking about himself, who is even greater than the temple. Okay, so Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, hey, I'm even greater than this temple. And you've probably heard the story that Jesus says he could knock the temple down and rebuild it in three days. He's talking about how he dies and is raised to life again. So basically what he's saying is, you don't need this building anymore. I am here, and I am God, and I am God, God's presence in a human body. And he says, not just I'm God, but not that I'm the temple, but I'm greater than the temple. Like this is better. What Jesus is doing is inaugurating a whole new kingdom. He's saying, you don't need this temple. In fact, this kingdom that you have here on earth, guess what? I'm bringing in a new kingdom, right? When we pray, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come. Your will be done. That is the first thing Jesus asks you to pray. He's coming to bring in a new kingdom, right? And so he's saying, you don't need this building anymore. I am your temple. I am God. Now, after Jesus goes back up to heaven, he then transfers in a way. I don't know if I want to use that word, but let's read 1 Corinthians 3.16. 1 Corinthians 3.16, so Jesus, that temple, he goes up to heaven. And now we are here, and what happens here is that Paul explains this, 3.16. Don't you realize that all of you together, that is super important, because this verb here is not a singular you. It is a plural you, you all, all you all, all of you. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you. So if you are a believer, if you have decided, yes, I want to follow Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit in you, the helper, and you are a living, walking temple. I hope that 
hits deep. Let it hit you for a moment. You are a living, walking temple. Your body is a place where the spirit dwells, where God is within you, right? Can you imagine if believers, all of us, everyone, I met the pastor's wife of um, Marsh Creek Church this weekend or last weekend. They just moved here. Um, and I prayed with her and I prayed for her because we're on the same team. Can you imagine if all of the churches, if all of the believers, if all of us really understood that we are living, walking presence of Jesus inside of us, what if we lived that out as much as we possibly could? The world would change. It would be different. We would bring the kingdom of God and we can do that. You have that inside of you, this ability to access and to, to have the spirit working out of you and you can change the world little bit out of a time, right? We are the people of God who have to help bring in this new kingdom. All right, let's keep connecting the dots. So if you're with me, stick with me. What we're doing is connecting dots all through the Bible, like the bigger narrative, right? The garden, the tabernacle, the temple, Jesus, us. And finally, in Revelation, because we have to end it, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. And then we'll jump over to verse uh, 22. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. Man, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Verse 22. I saw no temple. I love this part. I saw no temple in this city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. They don't need a building. When we get to heaven, their presence is going to be there. It's going to be beautiful and wonderful and peaceful and amazing and no need for a temple. So connect the dots. God, no temple. Tabernacle, temple, Jesus, us. God and Jesus again. Right? Repeat after me. There is a bigger picture. There is. There's a bigger picture, and you can apply that in so many ways. Now, before I switch from the Bible to this application part, I do want you, um, just in case you are sitting thinking like, how on earth did she find these 50,000 verses, right? Like, how did she connect all the pieces, right? Yes, I went to seminary, graduated, praise the Lord. That was really hard. And I know, thank you. I don't have to clap. Um, and yes, I do have some really amazing Bible software, but um, it, it is super helpful because in the software, I just type the word temple and I get all these like connections. But you also um, do not have to go to seminary. What you can do, as I showed you, as you're reading the Bible, if it mentions other books of the Bible, right? Like if it mentions Matthew or Luke, or if it mentions Haggai and Zechariah, go read those. And then you can make some connections. Another thing that you can do is uh, Bible Gateway is free. It's um, just www.biblegateway. Just type in the word temple, and it'll bring up a whole bunch of verses, and you can go from there um, and make connections through the Bible. So that's a little aside, and we're jumping over to application anyway. So, All right, so there is a bigger picture, um, and I want you to take this with you in one special way. And that is that what can keep us from seeing the bigger picture, right? So what can keep us just 
on a one track path where we cannot see the bigger picture, what can keep us from seeing the bigger picture are lies, right? So as we saw in the story, Satan, the accuser, he uses lies. Now lies are just one of the biggest hindrances to us living out our life as a temple of God. So I told you before, like what could happen if we all lived our lives knowing that we are the living, walking temple, right? What can keep us from that, and this is what Satan loves, is to make sure that you believe lies. Lies that you don't even realize are lies. Those are his favorite, right? Super deceptive. So it kind of looks like this. You want to be the living, walking temple of God as you live out your life, but you are all chained up with lies, lies and lies that keep you from doing it. Lies like, I'm not good enough. I'm too fill in the blank. Well, I can't fill in the blank. I always fill in the blank. Well, she fill in the blank. Well, he fill in the blank. All these lies that get, get you all chained up so that Pretty soon, you can barely walk, let alone be the living, walking temple of God because you can't even walk or move or go or see because you're too consumed with your own chains. Lies, they want to keep us from being the living, walking temples of God. I want to read something for you, and I do highly encourage you to get this book, honestly. It's probably one of the best books that I have read recently. I'm not finished, but I can't wait to finish it. Um, so let me just read this for you. I think it'll pop up on the screen as well. It's by John Mark Comer. He's a pastor, now a writer, um, and he says this about lies and deception. Our new environment is one in which a battle is raging between truth and lies, and truth is losing. Deception is at the root of almost every single problem we face in our society and our souls. The far more common and often more dangerous lies are the ones inside our own heads. He goes on to give examples like, I can't trust my wife. She'll cheat on me just like my mom cheated on my dad. Good things don't happen to me, so why even try to be successful? I can't say or do anything that will make people upset with me. I can't fail. Just lies. They keep us from being the living, walking presence of God. So, for example, if, if Jeshua in our story, if he had believed the lies that Satan was accusing him of, I'm sure that somehow he had lies going on. If he had believed them, if he had said, well, I can't rebuild this temple. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I, I just can't rebuild this temple. If he had said that, then God's presence would not have had a place in which to dwell and be near his people, and how sad. And I can give you an example of my life from Friday. This is awesome. Friday, Sarah is babysitting for me. Sarah's over there. She's babysitting for me. Um, I only work 10 hours here at the church, and so those 10 hours to me are precious. Like, I have to use those 10 hours at, like, full productivity. And I knew that today was my day to speak. And I want to use those 10 hours, right, and use them well. And I have other responsibilities. So anyway, it's Friday. And, and this is my last day to prepare for this morning. And I basically had Ezra 6. I didn't know what else I was going to talk about. So I needed 
really needed the time to, to write this message. And um, so <laughs> I'm driving here to the building, and I get this, like, because I know that I am a living, walking presence of God, I, I have practiced so hard, guys, so hard to hear the Holy Spirit well. I really have. And if you want to hear the Holy Spirit better, I highly encourage you next Sunday to stay after church. Um, Abigail is giving a training, a prayer training on how uh, she'll help you to learn how to hear from the Holy Spirit. Um, and I am happy to meet with you and, and show you what I have learned about how to hear from the Holy Spirit. But suffice it to say, I have spent years learning how to hear his voice. So I hear this little voice. It's in my head, right? Emily, <clears throat> go to Kohl's. What? Are you kidding? I am not. Number one, I hate to shop. But number two, I'm not going to Kohl's. No way, God. I only have four hours left to, to bring your word, right? Like, I'm not going to Kohl's, so I don't listen. And I keep driving to the church, and I keep hearing it. Emily, go to Kohl's. Emily, go to Kohl's. No, no, I'm not going to Kohl's. I come to church. <laughs> I get here, and I'm just like, I sit in this chair right here in the front row, and I just pray for everybody and just pray like, God, please, please give me more than Ezra 6 because it's kind of boring. I don't even know what to say about Ezra 6. And so I'm begging God and all I keep hearing, you know what I'm hearing, right? Go to Kohl's. Fine. That's it. Fine. I'm going to Kohl's. And um, behind the scenes, some of you, well, I'll share this part too, that Kathleen and Lumi and I are in this tripod um, so it's a small group, we're connected, um, and Kathleen had been praying for me, and she had told me, Emily, I really feel like God wants you to buy a new dress, right? Like, I know that's weird, but it did mean something to me, because when I pray and try to imagine God, he's just been showing me recently um, that I'm, he's giving me a yellow dress. So this was before Kathleen ever even prayed for me. So I knew what it meant. I need to go buy a yellow dress, which obviously I, I didn't, but I'll get there. Um, Anyway, so it made sense kind of to go to Kohl's. Like I knew what I was supposed to do. All right, so I, I drive to Kohl's and I get there and the parking lot is empty except for one car. And this car had pulled up to the door. These two ladies got out um, and they looked like people I knew. Um, and then they got back in their car and they drove away and I realized, oh man, there's a sign on the door. So I drive up and I see that Kohl's is closed. Right? And so then I'm really mad at God. Like, what? I only, I have work to do. I have work to do. Um, and so I felt like the Holy Spirit said, go to Boscov's. <laughs> what? Go to Boscov's? So now I drive to Boscov's and just feeling like, oh man, this is a mess. This is a mess. But I did feel that little sense of like, Emily, trust me, you'll be able to use this on Sunday. Don't worry about your job. And I always have to look perfect. And yeah, anyway, he's like, just forget it. Just go to Boscov's. Fine, I go to Boscov's. And when I get there, that those two ladies that I had seen at Kohl's were there. Cool, huh? So they get out of their car. I park right next to them, of course, right? And uh, I was begging the Holy Spirit, like, what am I supposed to say to these ladies? It is really hard to talk to strangers. Um, and... I didn't get anything, nothing. I couldn't hear anything. So the ladies get out, I get out, and I chicken out, right? Like, I'm terrified. 
So I didn't say anything to them. I just followed them into the store, um, did some shopping, whatever. I tried really hard the whole time I'm praying, like, God, please just give me something to say so I don't look like an idiot. And um, finally, like maybe 10 minutes later, I, I, I get the guts, right? Like, all right, I'm going to go talk to these ladies, and even though I didn't know what to say. So I run around boss cops trying to find them, and I can't find them. Uh, and then I'm like, okay, now what do I do? But as I'm about to leave, I see this woman, and I just know, I just know. And I felt the spirit inside, just that thought, right? Anxiety. Go pray for her. She is very anxious, okay? That I can do, right? Like, as long as you give me a little hint, I can do that. So I walk over to this lady, and it was really weird and very awkward, and I am awkward, and, um, or I can be. Uh, I'm like, hi, my name's Emily, right? And I'm wearing a mask, so that does not help. Uh, and so is she. And uh, I'm sorry, I know that this is really weird, but could I pray for you? I'm just sensing that you might be a little anxious, and I would love to just pray for you, right? And now I'm waiting for her to reject me, but she doesn't. And she's like, yes, yes, of course, that, that would be great. And she just spills it. She talked to me for at least 25 minutes about her anxieties. She was 80 years old, and she was still, she's still practicing nursing. And uh, anyway, just all of these things. And um, so at the end, I got to pray for her. And you could just see the like, I could almost see that she felt a deep love of God, right? And she, um, she I don't think she goes to church. And um, uh, you, she mentioned lots of things about how, you know, she hadn't been going to church or any of that. So I hope that I was able to be, right, a living, walking presence of God for her in that moment. So basically what happened there is that I decided to not wear my chains. I took them off myself. Now, some of you might think, oh, you, you can pray and God could take the chains away. Yes, of course he can take these chains away instantaneously, but you can also take them off yourself, so I could have left my chains on. My chains are usually like, I must be perfect. I must work these hours at this building by myself, write the perfect sermon and be perfect, right? But I took them off and decided, you know what? I think I'll go to Kohl's. I think I'll obey, even though it doesn't make sense, right? And uh, when we do that, when we get rid of the lies, when we take off the lies and we let it go, then we can see the bigger picture. So just say with me, there is a bigger picture. Great. And let's pray and invite the worship team up. And I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to use that in whatever way he wants in your life today. So close your eyes with me as the worship team comes up. And God, we, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, would you fill this place? Would you fill these hearts? I'm just... I'm just hearing the word family. God, I just, I pray into the word family right now, and I ask that you would help us to see that we are a family. God, in my story, it took Kathleen and Lumi and Sarah. It wasn't just about me off on this adventure to be your temple, but it's a community effort. God, we're a team. So, Lord, I pray for our vineyard family here. Would you come? Would you bless community and what you're doing in and through us all together. Lord, we are your temple, all of us together. God, I pray that you right now would just fill our hearts with your love and that as we worship, we could let go and just praise you, God. 
because you are a good God and you have a much bigger picture and you fight for us and you love us. So God, would you come? Would you fight for us against lies? Take the lies away and help us to be your living, walking temples. So more of you, God, more of you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that there is a bigger picture. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.